This year, the teaching series for the Christmas season is God with us. Last week, I shared that God with us uh, is the translation of Emmanuel. So Emmanuel means God with us. Um, And I read a few scriptures last week. I told you that the word Emmanuel is actually only found in a few scriptures uh, in the Bible. One of them is Matthew 1, 23. It says, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son. Go ahead and turn there. Matthew 1, verse 3. I want you to circle the word Emmanuel. And then what I want you to do, if you like writing in your Bible, is write that definition of Emmanuel. Matthew 1, verse 23. says, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son. See, this is a Christmas scripture. And they shall call his name Emmanuel. And so if you would, just take a line and draw it out to your margin and write God with us, because that's the definition of of that word. Uh, Emmanuel, God with us, which translated means God with us. I also shared some thoughts last week about why he came. Last week, that's essentially what it was about, why he came. Hopefully, everyone was encouraged. If you weren't here or you'd like to listen to that again, you can go to the website, download the podcast, whatever, and, uh, and be encouraged. This week, I want to talk to you about who he is. So if you're taking notes, you can write Emmanuel Uh, who he is at the top of your notes. Um, Not that we don't know who he is. We know who Jesus is on some form, uh, on some level. Before I got saved, uh, I didn't know much about Jesus, but I kind of knew he was. I kind of knew the Christian thing. Um, But listen, it can be easy for our view of his majesty to grow dim while we're living in this dark world. Would you guys agree with this? We're walking amongst darkness, and, and if we let it, that darkness can kind of overtake us and our, our view of who he is is majesty. And listen to me very carefully. I don't, I don't think this is up on the PowerPoint, but if you want to write this down, you can. When our view of his majesty grows dim, our love grows cold. Okay, and so it's important for us to always have a view, not of just Jesus, Jesus, but King Jesus, Majestic Jesus. Do you hear what I'm saying? Because whenever our view of his majesty grows dim, our love grows cold. And one of the letters to the, uh, um, the churches in Revelations talks about a love that grows cold and how God really grieves that. So this week, again, I want to talk to you about who he is. There's several scriptures uh, that get a lot of attention during the, scripture, uh, the, during the Christmas season. Matthew 1, 23 being one of those. Uh, the one that I want to look at this morning is Isaiah 9, 6. So turn to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And I hope that uh, what we talk about this morning will really rekindle a vibrant view of Jesus for all of us. Okay? Isaiah 9, verse 6, it says this, For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. Okay? We're obviously talking about Christmas. And the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Okay, this passage of Scripture is what we would call a messianic prophecy. That just means that it prophetically speaks of um, or points ahead to uh, either the person or the work of Jesus Christ. And sometimes messianic 
prophecies will point to both the person and the work of Jesus Christ. This scripture is actually chocked full of stuff that points ahead to the person and work of Jesus Christ. But what I want to focus on this morning are the titles that are given there. Okay, we're going to look at those titles that are given. And a couple of interesting things really quick uh, about these titles. First of all, there's, there's kind of always been this debate between scholars about where the commas go within that, his name. I know that sounds silly, but there's a big debate about where the, comma, the commas should go. In fact, there's, there's one group of people that say there is no comma. Okay, there, it's just all one big word, and that's mostly, mostly uh, like Jewish scholars and rabbis and things like that. They would say that there is no comma, and they would pronounce all of that like this. I'm going to give it a shot. Don't make fun of me. Pele yoez el gibor abead sar shalom. How you doing? <laughs> and so what they would say is like, all of this is the makeup of the Messiah. Of course, the Jewish people that do not believe Jesus is the Messiah are saying this of the one who is to come. The ones who already know Jesus is the Messiah are, this is what Jesus is all about. And of course, that's true of really all of these views. Another view is that there are four names. These are, they're just four names right there. The comma would be, uh, that it would be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father or Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And then another group would say that there's a comma between, <clears throat> that there's a comma between Wonderful and Counselor. So it would be Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Okay, wherever the comma goes, it doesn't really matter, I guess. What we do know for sure is that these are characteristics, these are descriptions, and they all tell of the nature and the significance of the one who it's talking about. And so and we do that all the time. We say uh, that so-and-so has made a name for themselves. And when we say that, we know that we're talking about their reputation, what they've done, who they are, and the things that, uh, that they might boast in or others might boast in with them. So uh, the names in this section describe the nature or the reputation of Messiah. You guys get that? So another interesting thing um, is that in the ancient Near East kings of that time would, would take what they would call throne names. Okay, this is really strange, I guess, but not really. They would take what's called throne names when they would ascend the throne. They took these titles. They added these epithets um, to their name, okay, these little subnames or binames, and they were usually um, kind of ridiculous. They were way too generous, you know. It would be like if, I'm, if I gave myself this epithet, this, these little names. I don't even know what I'd give myself, but they would probably be very generous, you know what I mean? If you guys were to give, well, I'm Tony the Great, or, you know, it would be stupid. Well, that's what they would do. They would give themselves these titles. For example, I was reading about in the Middle Egyptian kingdoms, the rulers would take five names. They would add five names when they were crowned, and each of them would refer to some sort of God or some land or some sort of aspiration that they had for their administration, something they wanted to accomplish while they were Pharaoh, while they, while they were king. And I read about this one king who, when he was crowned, the priest said of him, gave him five names. He was, he was mighty bull, one capable of planning, great in wonders, filled with truth, and son of Ra, to whom life is given. That was the five names, okay? I don't know that I would necessarily give myself mighty bull, you know? Remember the guy, sitting bull? Well, I don't know if he gave himself that name or what, but that was an Indian. So in these epitaphs, the king would be praised for these qualities or for these ambitions that he would have during his season. Now, I don't know that that's something that happened a whole lot 
for the kings of Israel, but we do see in 2 Samuel 23, and you can write that reference down and look at it later, but there are four names that are given to David. It says, David, the son of Jesse, the man exalted by the Most High, the man anointed by the God of Jacob, and Israel's singer of songs. Now, we, we could probably, if we thought about it and we tried to give him names, those would, be, those would be names that we would give him. Why? Because we know kind of who David is. So those make a lot of sense. Um, and uh, also in 2 Samuel 12, the prophet Nathan gives Solomon uh, a name. Remember, he calls him Jedidiah, which means beloved of the Lord. So we know that this can happen. But here's what I think what's happening here in Isaiah 9, 6, when God gives these names to his son, the coming Messiah, I think that he's making a statement to the world that there will be no king, past, present, or future, like the king of kings. Amen? There's going to be no king. There is no king. There's no ruler upon this earth who stands or who could stand before the king of kings. Every knee will bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. He's the Lord of lords. So let's look at these names. You guys with me? Uh, most of our Bibles, if you look at your translations, they're going to have the comma between. Uh, they're not going to have a comma between. <coughs> wonderful counselor, excuse me. Wonderful counselor. It's just going to be um, wonderful counselor, not wonderful comma counselor. And I'm okay with that. But I will say this, though. Um, I believe that wonderful in Scripture is a name that's given to the Lord. If you look at Judges 13. This is when the angel of the Lord came and spoke to Manoah's wife. If you might remember that scripture, if you've never read that, it's a really cool deal. Go back and read it in Judges 13. But the angel of the Lord came and visited Manoah's wife and then Manoah. And by the way, in scripture, when you see the angel of the Lord, most scholars would agree that the angel of the Lord literally is Jesus Christ himself, okay? Making an appearance, showing himself um, as the angel of the Lord. So when you see that, that's um, understood to be Jesus. So the angel of the Lord visited and spoke with Manoah and his wife. And at one point, Manoah asked him his name. He asked the angel of the Lord his name. And in Judges 13, verse 18, it says that the angel of the Lord, Jesus, said to him, Why do you ask me my name, seeing it is wonderful? Now, the, the word wonderful here is not capitalized, but I, but I believe that it's aligned with Isaiah 9. And here's, here's a couple of the reasons. One, because the word wonderful here in, in Judges is the word pil-e, and it means extraordinary, extraordinary, and it means incomprehensible. So it's like he's saying, why do you ask me my name, seeing is that uh, not just my name is incomprehensible, but I am incomprehensible. Who I am, you cannot comprehend. Okay? And then when you look at Isaiah 9, it's the word pala, uh, which p Pil-e comes from the word pala, and it means basically the same thing, wondrous. It means marvelous. It means extraordinary, and I love this definition. Separate by distinguishing action. Duh. Nobody has ever, will ever do what Jesus did. Amen? So obviously, he is wonderful in that he is distinguished by his actions. And so... Um, now, the reason I think it's important to look at this word, wonderful, separate, um, at least for a second, not, you know, not one, worrying about where the comma is going to be, is because, for one, it affirms the deity of Christ. You guys hear what I'm saying? 
It affirms the deity of Christ, and that is one of the main things over the course of centuries that has been attacked when it comes to uh, the doctrine of Jesus Christ, or what we believe theologically about Jesus, that he um, was not God, that he was just some sort of man, some sort of guy that had some sort of anointing, blessing upon him, his life to do great things, miracles, preach um, wonderful things. But listen, and we talked about this a little bit last week, the fact that Jesus was fully God, and Scripture said he was also fully man, is a major part of why we would follow him and believe in what he did to begin with. If you don't believe that as a core foundation of your faith, you're going to be in trouble. You will be like a reed that is tossed in the wind because that is a stability within our faith. There's actually a flip side to that. There are those, um, especially, well, still today, but especially in the time of Jesus and in the years afterward, that didn't believe that he was um, fully man, that he was just God. Well, he was able to do that cross thing. He was able to endure what he did. He was able to do all that because he was God. I mean, no man could do that. But see, that's taken away from the work of Jesus Christ too, isn't it? And so it's important to believe that he is fully God and fully man. And if you've, if you've wavered on that, I encourage you to go to Scripture and really settle that in your heart and in your Scripture. And if you have any questions, I could help you with that. Um, I could help you with that too. Um, but it speaks of... Uh, the deity of Christ, but another thing is that it reminds us that we're just not going to understand all there is about God. You guys hear what I'm saying? Why do you ask my name? For it is wonderful. It is incomprehensible. You're just not going to be able to understand all all there is. You've got to let it go. If you devoted every moment of your entire life to trying to understand me, you're not going to be able to figure it out. And that's a struggle for some of us, you know, because we want to know. I want to know before I, it's kind of like that Thomas thing. I want to know. And if I can just touch the nails, holes in his hand and in his side, if I can touch that, I'll believe, you know. And Jesus allowed Thomas to do that. But he said, you know, blessed are those who believe without seeing, without understanding that. So there's something to that. If that's something you struggle with, listen, he is wonderful. Bottom line, foundational. You will not be able to comprehend all that he is, but he will give revelation as you seek him. Amen? Is that good news? Okay, because some people get really discouraged with that. Um, In Isaiah 11, uh, now I'll I'll go there in a minute. So listen, looking at these titles, um, looking at them as five titles is not a bad thing, but since most of our Bibles have them shown as four titles. We'll look at it this way. By the way, there's two ways to look at these titles. Um, The first two speak of Messiah's divine wisdom and strength. And the second two speak of what Messiah accomplished because of or through that divine wisdom and strength. And so uh, Isaiah 11, 2 says that the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom, the Spirit of understanding, are these sounding familiar? The Spirit of counsel, (laughs) <laughs> the spirit of strength, uh, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, all of these things will rest upon him. So, um, all right, so let's look at the first one. You can write it down. Wonderful counselor. Wonderful counselor. Again, we know that anything that starts off with pala or, or wonderful in front of it is going to be divine, which is what we talked about. So God is speaking through Isaiah here that the Messiah will have the ability to discern or to give counsel that comes from the very throne of God. So one of the things that we can be super encouraged with in our faith 
is that when we seek Jesus and we hear from his voice or we read from his word, the counsel that we're getting, the advice that we're getting, by the way, that's what counsel means. Counselor, yaats, it means to advise. It means to consult. It means uh, also one who plans. So when we seek God's advice, his counsel, Lord, what do you have planned? We can trust that what we receive by revelation from him is going to be from God especially if it lines up with the Word. If it doesn't line up with the Word, you might scratch your head a little bit. But if it lines up with the Word, you can put your stamp of approval. You with me? Anybody ever have a hard time discerning what God wants you to do or just what you're supposed to do? Well, He's a wonderful counselor. He has divine consultation. He gives divine advice. I love that, uh, that other definition, one who plans. One who plans. Turn to Psalm 139 real quick. Psalm 139, most of us are familiar with this. I'm not going to read all of it, but I'll read you uh, maybe six verses. 139, you can turn there. Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down. You know when I rise up. You understand my thoughts from far away. You scrutinize my path, my lying down, and you are intimately acquainted with all my ways. That means he knows everything about who we are, what we have done, what we do, and oddly enough, unfathomable, uncomprehensible enough, he knows what we will do. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me from behind and from uh, before, and you have laid your hand on me. And look at verse 6. Such knowledge is too wonderful, pill E, (laughs) incomprehensible, for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. In other words, I will never figure it out. But I sure am glad about it. Psalm 139. I want to make this very simple this morning. Write this down. And all these points are going to be simple. Listen, no one knows your life like your loving Savior. So go to him first. No one knows your life like your loving Savior, so go to Him first. Bottom line, when we're curious, when we're clueless, when we don't have the answers, when we're seeking counsel, we usually seek it from other things. People, constellations, (laughs) we'll we'll seek it from whatever. But it's funny how we will put seeking God's counsel somewhere down the line. Listen, no one knows you. Psalm 139, no one knows what's up in your life like God does, like Jesus does. And so take the time to seek his counsel because his counsel comes from the throne of God. Amen? You guys hearing me on that? Seek his counsel because it comes from the throne. Not only does Jesus know what's going on in your life, he has plans for you. He has purposes for you that he, listen to me, that he will not compromise. Why? Because he's the one that planned those things. And so he's not going to compromise them. And therefore, he will work in mighty ways to ensure that those plans, those good purposes come about for all those who know him and have been called according to his purposes, which brings me to his next name, Mighty God. Go ahead and write that in. Mighty God. Now listen, the term God can be used of, honestly, in this Old Testament, it can be used of 
kings, it can be used of judges, it can be used of rulers and leaders, um, because by definition, it just means great. It means strong. It means powerful. But when you add that word El, that Hebrew word El, um, with mighty, Gabor, it beefs it up a little because that word mighty means the strongest. And so you can look at it as the strongest of strong, the greatest of great, the mightiest of mighty, the champion of God. Do you hear what I'm saying? That was the little baby in that manger. <laughs> The, the, the champion of champions, the champion of gods, the God of gods, the greatest of the great, the highest of the high. Glory to God in the highest. There's a reason they said that, because that's who he is. And so, you know, we already see just from the terms mighty and God and those Hebrew words, we already see that this is no ordinary God. This isn't just some pagan God. This is the God of gods. This is the God at which all other gods will bow down to at the end of the age. Amen. This is the King of kings, the God of gods, the Lord of lords. Um, and that's why I love, that, you know, getting back to the word wonderful, that's why I love establishing that thought in my heart and in my mind first. It's because that undergirds all of these, that this is talking about a deity, not just some strong guy, not someone like Samson, <laughs> certainly not someone like Hercules, okay, um, or the Hulk, you know, any of those people like that. This is the God of gods. Are you all with me? This is good news, isn't it? This is the meaning of Christmas. Uh, last week, I read Jeremiah 119. It says, they will fight against you. That proverbial they. They could be circumstances. It could be evil people. It could be truly the enemy. It could be uh, his minions, demon, a demonic uh, attack against you. Whatever they is, will fight against you. But look what he says. But they will not overcome you, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Again, I want to make this simple. Write this down. No one protects your life like your loving Savior. So go to Him first. No one protects your life like the loving Savior. So go to Him first. When we get in trouble, when we feel uh, unsure, uncertain, we feel attacked, we feel weak, we feel like something's coming against us, we feel down and out, a lot of times we will seek all kinds of stuff for refuge instead of the Lord. And I don't have to go through the list because we know our lists. Does everybody know your list? I know my list. But the point is, bring it bottom line, is no one protects like your protector, like your Savior. That's what Jesus, Yeshua means, salvation of God. No one's going to protect like your loving Savior. So go to Him first. That's why God said to Caleb and at different times, uh, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them. Again, the proverbial them, the proverbial they. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you. He will not forsake you. Isn't that good? Go to him first. If you feel like you're under attack or you feel like you're... Um, um, weak or you feel like you're behind the eight ball or whatever, go to the Lord because he will fight for you. Amen. Everlasting Father. This is a, this for some has been a difficult one because, you know, people will try to, um, they don't really look into it. They just take it everlasting Father. And so um, I want to define it first because there's been confusion for people that somehow this goes against the Trinity. How could Jesus be called the Father if there's the Father, the Son, uh, God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. 
Well, you have to really look into this, and that's why I want to define these words for you. First of all, everlasting father. Some of your versions, my version says eternal is, uh, the word eternal is odd. It means, uh, how do you say that? Perpetuity. It means forever. It means perpetual, forever, uh, a continuing future. That's what that word means, everlasting, eternal. Uh, this continuing, perpetual future, talking about forever, okay? So when you think about Jesus being the father of forever, and he was, he's the father of a continuing future. Let's look at the word father. It's the word ab, which is where we get, well, we say abba, father. It just means originator. It just means producer or generator. So when you look at it, you can just write this down real quick. Messiah, Jesus Messiah, is the father of forever. Okay? He's not God the father, but he is the father of forever. Why? Because Jesus was with God in the beginning. You hear what I'm saying? It says in John that he was with God. He was God. He is God. And he was with God in the beginning. And so when forever was created, when the future was created, when eternity was created, guess who was there and in on that council meeting? God the Father was there. God the Son was there. Jesus, our Messiah, and God the Holy Spirit was there. And so it's not unusual to hear it say, uh, the Father of eternity or the Father of forever. In fact, in, in Daniel chapter 7, calls both God, the Father, and the Son in two different places, the Ancient of Days. You guys remember that old song? Blessing and honor, glory and power, be unto the Ancient of Days. Listen, that's talking about God, the Father, who sits on the throne and is the Ancient of Days. But it also goes on to say that the Ancient of Days will come and he will kick tail. You know what I mean? So that's obviously talking about Jesus. So right there, again, it's not unusual, and it shouldn't confuse us about who, who's what in the Trinity. Um, uh, in Revelation 22, it says, Jesus himself says, I am the Alpha, the Omega. I am the uh, first and the last. I am the beginning and the end. Another way of saying that is I'm the Father of forever. And, and so is the God the Father. And so is God the Holy Spirit. Amen? You guys hear what I'm saying? This ain't too deep, is it? No, it's good. This is right. So uh, he's the generator of a continual future. Now think about that. The father of eternity, the father of forever. He's the generator of perpetuity. He's the father of, the leader of, the creator of a continuing future. That is really good news for those who follow Jesus. Do you get that? That is really good news for those who follow him. Write this down. No one upholds your life like your loving Savior. So go to him first. When you feel like it's all falling apart, when you feel like this is the end of it all, when you feel like nothing is happening in my life, God has left me, God has forsaken me. First of all, that's not true. He will never leave nor forsake you, remember? Deuteronomy 31. But in fact, Paul says it like this. This is my, my favorite verse. I would call it my life verse. It says that I am confident, because I have a foundation in, of this, that he who began a good work in me, who originated it, is the father of, will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Do you guys see what I'm saying here? This is really good news. And so when I feel like it's all coming to an end, when I feel like there's no movement, it's stagnant, I can't go anywhere, I pause 
And I stop and I go to God first rather than saying, oh, trying to work something out and trying to make it happen. Dude, I am the king of that. I am the king of trying to make it happen on my own. I am the king of trying to build my own confidence in my circumstances. I'm telling you, my wife would be like, show is. I gave him a crown last Christmas. You know what I mean? So I get it. I'm preaching to myself. Pause, pull out my mirror, look at it, and move on, okay? I'm telling you. So, but listen, no one upholds your life. Upholds is another way of saying undergirds, finishes, uh, perpetuates. No one is going to continue something great in your life like your Savior will. Because he thought the plans, he forethought the plans, he instigated that he saved you and he's, he's bringing them to completion. Is this good news or what? All that from a little tiny baby in a manger being slopped on by sheep, you know, and cows itching from the hay. I don't know. It's good news. Christmas is a good deal, isn't it? The last one is Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. Well, we obviously know what a prince is. Prince is uh, basically a ruler of something by the authority of the Father. Okay? So let's look at the word peace, which most of us know the Hebrew word for peace is the word shalom, right? Okay. Shalom, it basically means completeness. We, all, we may think it means uh, free from agitation, free from turmoil, free from uh, tribulation or trial. It doesn't actually mean that at all. It's not what it means at all, at least not in this sense. It means completeness. It means soundness, to be sound. In other words, not able to be shaken. It means welfare. Talking about the welfare. Okay? So this is something, again, we talk a lot about around here, that Jesus brought peace with God through redemption and His death, His burial, His resurrection, the Holy Spirit continuing that peace in us um, and will eventually bring total peace upon the earth when He comes and, you know, in last thing, last days, last things. Um, Jesus said that his kingdom is within us. He talks about in Luke that uh, it would also come with lightning. And so there's a lot of stuff that he talked to his disciples about. Think of all the conversations we read that Jesus has with his disciples. He covered a lot of topics with his disciples. Think about the, the stuff from the past, Old Testament, Old Covenant, ancient Israel, all the stuff he talked to them about, brought back up. They're like, we're trying to forget that, Lord. He's like, we got to talk about it. All the stuff that was going on in the present day, just the turmoil under the Roman rule, all, rule, all the stuff. The fact that he was saying, I actually, I didn't come to kick Rome's tail yet. I came to serve. Remember? In fact, there was one disciple who left the flock simply because of that reason, because Jesus came to serve instead of to conquer. You guys remember Judas? There's all kinds of stuff. And then all the things that would happen. He talked about the last days. He talked about his death. He talked about how he would die. These are all things that would have been heavy for the disciples. Okay, all the stuff, past, present, future, it's like, oh, but he talked to them about these things. <clears throat> but listen to what he says. These things, this is John 16, He said, these things I have spoken to you. Again, all the things he would have spoken. So that in me, you may have peace. That's what he says. In the world, you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. 
in me you have peace. Now, I think that we get overwhelmed just as bad as the disciples might have about the past, present, and future. Are we all here today? I know I do. I get just as overwhelmed about things that have happened in the past, things I've done, things done to me, failures, mistakes. I get overwhelmed by those things. I can even let them dictate my current situation and shape my future. Certainly things can get tough in the present. We can get overwhelmed by those things. How many of you might have been overwhelmed recently by your present circumstances? Raise your hand, people. Come on, we're a family. And I tell you what, there's a lot of uncertainty about the future. We get overwhelmed. We can get fearful. But listen to what he said. Jesus said, Yeshua, Messiah, little baby, grown up, said in John 14, 27, peace, this is whenever he was getting ready to go to ascend to the Father, peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Not as the world, listen to that carefully. Not as the world gives peace to you, do I give peace. Because remember, you guys, there is a promise of peace coming. Very soon, there's a promise of peace. All your worries are going to be whatever. Don't be fooled. He said, not as the world offers peace, do I give you peace. He says, do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Amen? Life presents a lot of reasons to be afraid, but remember what Paul said. I didn't, he said, God didn't give us a spirit of fear or timidity, but of what? Power, love, Most of us memorize it as a sound mind. Some of your versions may say discipline. But listen to that. Power of love, not timidity, fear. Power, love, and a sound mind. What was one of the definitions of shalom? Peace, completeness, soundness. That's what he's given us. A spirit of peace. Why? Because that's who he is. It's what he gave us. Not as the world gave it, but one free from fear. He called us to thrive in peace, to thrive under his kingly rule. Uh, kind of like the, the early church in Acts. We read about that. In fact, it says in Acts 9, verse 31, it says, so the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed, guess what? Peace. The early church was enjoying peace. It goes on to say that they were being built up. They were going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Hello, wonderful counselor. The Holy Spirit is called the counselor. He's also called the comforter. And it says that the church continued to increase. That doesn't just talk about numeric growth. It's talking about spiritual growth. People were growing. That's why we're sitting here today, because people back then were enjoying peace. And I believe that if we will enjoy peace, our sons and daughters and more people in the city will begin to increase. They will begin to enjoy peace. This is, this is the mantle upon our lives. Um, now listen, and I want to close with this. What did they have that we sometimes lose? What did the early church have? Those that were with Jesus or just years away from Jesus being there, that were hearing firsthand or from someone who saw firsthand witnesses, what did they have that sometimes we lose right now? I talked about it earlier. One of the first things I said this morning. A majestic view of Messiah. A majestic view 
of Jesus. When our view of His majesty grows dim, our love for Christ grows cold, and our life becomes a mess. And when our life is a mess, we aren't bringing peace to the chaos around us. If you want to write this down, you can write this down. No one guards your life like your loving Savior, so go to Him first. No one guards your life. Philippians 4, Paul talked about the peace of God. He said there's a peace of God, from God, with God, in God, that surpasses all comprehension. There's that word comprehension again. There's that word wonderful again. It surpasses all comprehension, and he said, and that peace will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. No one guards your life, your mind, your heart, your body, your actions, your will, like your loving Savior. So go to Him first. When life is crazy around you, when there's a lack of peace in your life, go to Him first. Go to Him first. You've got to stand with me.